Great. Hey! How good. Here we go. Couple of waves to the crew. We are going to bring Moshe on in just a moment. We'll just get a couple of people jumping on board and uh, get ready. Wee woo! Let us know where you're checking in from. How's your day been? What's alive for you right now? Tell us all the things. Amanda, hi, hi, hi. Angus Rob, hello. Hope everyone's doing well in the current climate. Why does it feel so dark in here? That's probably a bit better. Aaron, how are you, mate? Good to have you on board. We're going to have a pretty mean podcast tonight, so stick around. Woo-woo! <clears throat> All right, cool. Let's bring in Moshe, and uh, we can get this. There he is. Send request. Hello. Hello. How good. How's the sound? Yeah, it's nice. I mean, through the handy H Zoom, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, overall. Yeah, I mean... The microphone is aiming down. Oh, it's fine. I mean, if I just start talking normally? Yeah. How's it going? Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. How are you? I'm fantastic. I am... This is the first full day of the lockdown in the Northern Rivers, which many people are having a laugh about because somehow this entire time the Northern Rivers of Byron Bay have avoided any formal lockdown. And now here we are. Not much has changed. The market still went on. Some of the venues are closed, which is sad. The yoga studio is closed. Uh, businesses, small businesses are suffering. That's the thing. That's hard. People's day-to-day lives are disrupted. Uh, but apart from that, we have beautiful nature here. The weather is wonderful. And I'm surrounded by very, very generous and amazing friends. So I'm very grateful. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't complain. Well, it's um, it's lovely to have you on board. I mean, yeah, maybe maybe a little bit. There's, there's a few things to complain about, but we'll, we'll save that for later, I think. Um, mm. But it's it's good to have you here. I'm very I'm very happy about this. It's been a long time coming, and uh, for all of those watching, I actually met Moshe. I was up in uh, Belon. No, where did they have that yoga festival? In Bangalore. In at Bangalore. The festival. That's right. I was up there in Bangalore, just around Byron Bay, for the Starlight Festival, running a Finding Your True North workshop, and and Moshe was at my workshop. And it's such a weird thing because I know, and I know I told you this, but I remember looking at you and, and I never, I didn't meet you properly on that day, but I remember thinking to myself, that guy looks just like an interesting character and someone that I really want to get to know and, and talk to. And then 
And then it was after that we went to a what are they called? Those like blindfold touch dances. Do you remember that? Uh, was it a sensory sensory deprivation contact dance? Is that what? Yeah, we're... yeah, it was. It was. And and for those yeah, sensory deprivation contact dance for those that have never done that before. Essentially, I mean, maybe you explain that, Moshe. What are we doing in that in that space? Well. Basically, there's an opportunity, especially living in this area, to focus on radical embodiment. And one of the opportunities for practicing radical embodiment is through dance and dance in an unfettered or unencumbered fashion, which means that you're interacting with other people and you're expressing yourself freely with safety and a very full mind. Uh, And then you're beginning to understand what it means to share weight and redistribute the weight between yourself and another person. And that leads to deep healing because you're trusting your own ability to listen to your own intuition while then also surrendering to someone else who may be taking on all your weight or giving you all their weight. There are all kinds of things happening in this area and I hope that after this week, many of them come back. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And that was a new experience for me. I remember, you know, just eyes closed and essentially just, you know, stepping and moving across a space. And as soon as you felt somebody else, you would almost just lean on each other and whatever happened, happened. And it was, it was very, um, I guess the, the saying she was, the, the saying that um, the, the facilitator used was quite Van Gogh, you know, like just get out of the way of yourself, get out of the way of the painting brush and, and just let go altogether. And there's this beautiful release that happens when someone starts off as a leader and then another person becomes the leader and then you're the follower and then both of you totally transcend that so there is no leader there is no follower and you have fully reunited and merged and that is such a state of bliss where you can trust your own body and the other person's body it's it's exhilarating that i feel like that's such a medicinal space Huh. It almost moments like this when we have everything cancelled, rescheduled, thrown out the window. It inspires me to start leading those events. Yeah, just creating a space for that to happen so that everyone can come together and share, share such a potent, such a potent container. Yeah, absolutely. And it was. And I wonder. I've wondered whether or not down here in, in little old Geelong slash Torquay if we could run something like that and whether or not it would take off because it's a different it's a different vibe, I think. But I'm open to giving it a go. I really am. Um, yeah, well, the lockdown has taught me that we should be taking bolder risks and being more daring. The lockdown in Melbourne last year was so such a contraction and so disempowering. And now I'm like, no, we have so much space. We're very blessed with resources. We have everything that we need. There's no need to panic. There is genuinely no need to panic in this area. In other areas, I can understand that there would be repercussions towards going on, but here we're very... We're in such abundance. There's no need to, to worry at all. Yeah. It's definitely um, it's definitely a good idea to, to start facilitating those things. And, you know, if I run one down here, I'll let you know. You can fly down for it if possible. We'd love to have you here. Um. I'd love to come. I haven't been back to Victoria since May of last year, which is coming on almost a year and a half. And that is surreal because so many of the people that I care about the most in the world, yeah, privilege, that's the word for it, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a comment that says, this, to, be, to be in this experience is one of unparalleled privilege. 
And hopefully there comes a time where I can safely return to Victoria without the prospect of then being shut down again or being uh, immobilized in any which way. Uh, it's hard. It's sobering. Mm. Yeah, it really is. And uh, yeah, hearts out to anyone that's that's struggling right now. Um, we feel you, we hear you, we see you, and hopefully by the end of this chat, you will have some resources, some ideas, and some concepts to to move forth and uh, and be the best version of yourself. And with that being said, um, that was that was the second time I met Moshe at the contact dance, and that was where I got to actually speak with him and say, "Oh my gosh, we've got to meet." We did caught up in a park, played some music together, shared story, and just had a really beautiful connection. Um, if anyone read that post, Moshe is a musician, a yoga teacher, he's um, an artist, he does Reiki, he's a Reiki practitioner, and above all else, as I mentioned, he's a writer. His book right here, his first book, uh, Forgiveness is a Superpower, this is really the essence of this conversation, and we're going to crack into this later on. Um, But before we do that, Moshe, I'd love for you to share with all of us just a little bit about yourself, give us your background um, what's alive for you right now, and and how did you kind of get from you know where you are and wherever that was to where you are right now? Because you've done some amazing things, bro. And as I said, I'm pumped to have you here. We all can't wait to hear your story. So just let let the words fly, brother, and uh, and tell us about you. Uh, so I grew up in Melbourne to Israeli migrants, and that essentially meant that I've always lived in between worlds because I was raised in so-called Australia to migrants who were very focused on security and safety and opportunity, but that essentially meant that I had no real understanding or connection to the land that I was on or what was taking place here or what had already transpired here. So there was already some kind of cognitive dissonance and then also disembodiment, which has repercussions later in life because you end up exteriorizing everything that you're seeking so i went to a jewish primary school and that was really good to generate community and then i moved to a public high school and that shook things up uh specifically because it taught me that the little ecosystem that we had created was not the center of the universe quite the opposite uh i'm really fortunate to reflect that even in my seventh grade, it was almost like the United Nations. So everyone was there, every nationality, every ethnicity. Uh, and that really opened me up to the experience of living in Nam or in so-called Melbourne. I'm now in Bundjalung country in the Northern Rivers. Uh, what I was going to do earlier, and I'll do it now, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land where I'm on now uh, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Uh, It took me until the age of about 23 to understand what living on this continent actually means, Uh, which basically means living in Melbourne. I lived in the South side. I had a very safe and sheltered experience. Uh, Someone in the comments is one of my oldest friends who I went to high school with. (laughs) So I am very blessed and privileged to have had that upbringing where I was connected to my heritage and my roots. I had the means to travel internationally once a year, if not every two years. Uh, And then I think things shifted when 
I was on a path of serving my own fantasies and desires of what it means to be successful in the world. Uh, basically a lot of ego focus and hmm, things really shifted when I started practicing yoga every day. And then the Western, the Western portal to yoga is asana based, which basically means you're focusing on postures and shapes rather than anything else. When in reality, yoga is a very broad system and network and is a very artful way of living. Uh, So after a year of practicing every single day, I went to India seeking more and seeking deep healing from a complex series of life events, almost like a Venn diagram. Uh, So that is what I found. And then I was very inspired during my time there. A friend of mine had gifted me a bucket list journal. And number seven that I wrote into it was write and publish a book. And that was in February of 2019. And by the end of April, the book was done. Wow. You don't muck around, do you? I don't fuck around. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the I fastest mean, no, time to I'm publish a book ever. So when, my, when I'm activated, I'm diligent and I'm determined. So Amazing. So good. And I'd love, I mean, with, there's a whole bunch of stuff here that uh, you, you currently do. I'd love to briefly, or not even briefly, as long as, as long as they take to explain, as you explain them, drop into each of them. Um, and I think I might touch on a bit of religion first, because I know you've got your own kind of views on that. Um, you grew up at a Jewish school. You now practice, I believe it's, is it Buddhism, a mixture of Buddhism and something else? Where I'm at now is my experience is at the cross-section of many... It's almost like a spiritual smorgasbord or a spiritual buffet. Right. And that means that there's a kernel of wisdom at the center of each of these ancient ideologies, belief systems, schools of thought, uh, communities. And that wisdom is very, very inspiring and very powerful. What I actually read the other day in Krishnamurti's Freedom from the Known is that if you then identify with any community, which is to say, my identity is framed by my Jewish upbringing, I have fundamentally ignored the only spiritual truth, which is there is no separation. So I formed an identity that removes me from reuniting with you or with anyone else. Mm. So to answer your question, at the moment, I connect with my breath, I breathe into my body. I honor my ancestors, I connect to the land around me, and I love yogic wisdom and Jewish mysticism in the form of Kabbalah. And Sufism is also very beautiful, the romantic Persian lineage. Beautiful. And would you say it's fair to say that you've, so you've essentially just grabbed a little bit from each one almost, and you're just, yeah, just living through all of them. (laughs) A lot, no... uh, not just a little bit, a lot. Yeah, and a smorgasbord. A smorgasbord. Yum, yum, yum. And <laughs> I feel, I feel like any community that isolates itself or alienates itself has fundamentally opposed, as I said, the only underlying truth that binds all the religions together, which is humanity is one, the earth is one, 
we are interconnected. If anything, the Indigenous Aboriginal worldview is exactly that. It's one of the most life-affirming webs of interconnectivity. Mm. So I'm learning a lot about uh, what it means to see yourself in other people when the illusion of separation shatters. Wow. And do you believe that we can still have that community without the religion? Can we still have, have that bond and that belonging without? Well, when you remember that you inherently belong and that that was never jeopardized and that the egoic mind is seeking for uh, a label of some kind or whether it's a title, clothes, status, fame, any of those things, uh, it's almost a warped sense of belonging or a distorted sense of belonging instead Mm. of it being the very simple reminder or the remembering that you are belonging to the earth exactly as you are. Yeah. You never needed to, you never needed to change that. You never needed to adapt. You never needed to shed something or add something. The very the very fact that you are here is a miracle and is testament to the fact that you belong. Beautiful, brother. There's no there's no initiation, there's no ritual, there's no ceremony, there's no masterclass, there's no title, there's no prize, there's no medallion, there's no Oscar. None of those things, all of those things in reality create division and hierarchy. But the truth of the, the, truth of the experience is you are here and therefore you belong. Yeah. We are here and now. Perfect. Well said. Beautiful. Um, can we can we touch on? I know that one of your main uh, how do I say this? It wouldn't be a side hustle because it's more full time that I think as a Reiki practitioner. So you're doing Reiki. I mean, you know, people are oh wow, there, there go a few hearts. There's some excitement on the Reiki. Can we touch on that? And I I think this is an interesting one for me because I know that you know we actually had this discussion. Um, when I was in Byron that, that, you know, I'd come across a couple of people that really didn't agree with what that was and, and that, you know, the fact that you weren't actually touching someone's body meant that it wasn't working and it wasn't doing anything. And, and I think that, you know, for a lot of people, respectfully, um, they might not think that, that Reiki is, is real and a bit woo-woo. And, and I feel like that's understandable because, you know, I love the idea that we are a byproduct of our experiences, our documentaries, our friends, our friend circles, everything. And if that's kind of all that we know, well, we don't know what we don't know. And so that's all we're going to go with, go with on that. So I'd love for you to just drop in to the Reiki side of your life and chat to that. Well, this is one of my favorite things to talk about, and I actually don't have the opportunity to discuss this enough, probably because I will do my best to describe what Reiki is and the impact that it can have, but in reality, words diminish it because it's such a metaphysical and intangible experience, which is why a lot of people will say things like, that's woo-woo bullshit, I'm not buying it, there's no need to interact with it. Uh, What I'll start off by saying, and to me this is actually quite saddening, is the feedback I always get at the end of a Reiki session, which tends to be 90 minutes, which also involves meditation and sound healing, Uh, is that people feel a sense of safety that they haven't felt arguably ever. And when I think about that, I'm 
not necessarily flattered or complimented by that. I'm actually quite shocked mm. or astounded because if someone placing their hands on you and being present and still is enough to generate such a sense of peace, security, safety, and a sense of rest that may not have been afforded prior to that, what's happening in the outside world on a day-to-day basis that is jeopardizing that? Mm. To me, that's actually quite worrisome. So I could have come in and said, wow, people are getting better night's sleep than they ever had. They're feeling totally cleansed and irrigated, which is all true. But I'm more curious and intrigued by the idea that we're so lacking of genuine, deliberate, intentional contact and touch with unwavering presence where someone can be with you exactly as you are with no need to shift anything, no need to manipulate anything, almost the opposite of a massage. The, the masseuse or the body worker is working so hard to manipulate every combination of muscle groups and myofascia and twisting your limbs all around in reality someone can simply place their hands either on your physical body or at a distance. And that can have such a profoundly healing impact that not many people in reality are actually willing to give to themselves. So when I received Reiki for the first time in India, the first time I resisted it, my body was agitated. I was irritated. I couldn't surrender to the man who was giving Reiki. And then the second time I did, and I felt the divine well of love. (laughs) And for some people that language is fluffy and it's not relevant. Uh, But to me, that comes close to describing the feeling that it did generate at the time, Mm -hmm. which is a return to the divine well of love or the reservoir of compassion that is always available to us. But we live in a world of such hyper-stimulation, numbness, desensitization, and distraction that that is really buried so something like reiki can very simply uncover that and i'm really fortunate that people are curious and they are willing to give themselves an hour or 90 minutes where we can learn what it means to interact with other people what does it mean can i ask can i ask for your permission before i interact with you in any which way so i'm not assuming is it okay that my hands can still stay here? There's an overlap with craniosacral therapy as well. It's all about how the body and the nervous system is holding on to so much tension and fear that at any moment it could be so agitated, it can't ever truly simply rest in the parasympathetic. Mm. So something like Reiki and the ongoing correspondence or the dialogue, are you comfortable with me putting my hands here? Would you like them to remain here? A lot of the time it's quite unspoken, but in the beginning there'll be a very clear landscape that we've designed together specifically designating are we placing my hands in certain parts Mm. they'll be here for around three to five minutes the only thing you really need to do is breathe yeah and and people when i think about how we live in a culture that is so accelerated everything's so fast everything is so hyper realized uh visually overwhelming Uh, something like a hand on someone's wrist or on the shoulder, on the cheek, on the wherever it is, not many people know how to receive that. That's a form of softness and tenderness that 
in some experiences, not in all experiences, some people could reject because mm. they're so used to such an intense experience of uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> I need to feel the most. I need to get the most out of this. Absolutely. I need, to, I need to dig your elbow into my collarbone. I need you to release my spine and all these things. Like, can you simply, can you simply be open to this channel and this bridge being connected between us? Yeah. Some people, it moves them to tears. I remember when I gave myself Reiki for the first time on, an, on a rooftop in northern Goa. At the very end, I burst into tears and it was tears of gratitude. And it's very rare to cry genuine tears of gratitude. It's very easy to cry tears of grief and despair. But to release tears of gratitude that we can give ourselves the gift of peace. No matter what is happening in the world, you can drop into peace and stillness and presence and safety immediately. Mm. With your own hands, your own presence, with your own It's pretty powerful. Is there anything, and this is just what's coming through for me now, is there any sort of, um, you know, quick little things that people can do in relation to that that you can sort of show us on here? Can you kind of go, yeah, like if you're feeling a little stressed or a little anxious, is there a technique that you've got that, that sort of almost instantly relaxes? You can place your left hand on your temple and your right hand at the back of your head. And relax the shoulders, exhale through the mouth. And if you're actually comfortable to sustain this for about three or five minutes, three to five minutes. And see if you can be in absolute stillness so you're not actually moving anything. When a mother kisses her baby, that is Reiki. When a grandparent soothes the little child, that's Reiki. This is Reiki. It's, it's, it's really, I think, the actual title. Gen- but there's nothing to be confused about. It's, it's quite a beautiful and simple technique mm. that can harmonize the nervous system and bring about deep, deep states of relaxation yeah. and healing. Wow. Well, and I, I love so much the, the permission to touch, you know, and I think... There would be, and I say this unfortunately, and, and you know this comes from I, I guess facilitating sharing circles. But there are so many people in my experience that that don't feel safe, and that don't feel, and that do feel like their boundaries, you know, often get crossed without permission, you know. And so I think to sit in that presence with with someone, you know, the likes of yourself, such a, a genuine, authentic, um, compassionate man, and and to have those kind words offered, you know, is this okay? Do you mind if, you know, can I get your permission to leave my hands here or would you like them to be moved elsewhere? I think it really opens up the container for, for ultimate trust, actually, which is amazing. And something that I haven't done yet, although I've, I've seen the effects, it would be really good to get a really nice camera and take a before and after because before someone will come in and then you go through this spiritual car wash (laughs) and then on the other side they've just like had a facelift and they're like oh my god and like it it wasn't anything complex it wasn't an elaborate zentai flow you know it was someone being present with you and i feel like in all our hearts i'll speak for myself we yearn to feel understood we we yearn to feel held we yearn to be seen and accepted, accepted as we are. So something like that can be a physical exercise of generating that. 
mm. a physical technique to cultivate that within yourself and with other people. Because a lot of the time, people might be very good at talking, people might be very good at performing, they might be very char charismatic. But can you look the person in the eye and be with them and have no need to react or to respond to what they're saying, but simply be there to listen and receive them as they are so that your instinct or the reflex that's coming out of your being is quelled and you get to look at this person and go, I am fortunate enough to get to be here with you. What a miracle is that? Mm. I don't have to give you guidance. I don't have to give you advice. You are your own guardian. You are your own gatekeeper. Full acceptance. Yeah. Full support. Absolutely. It almost sounds like one of those dot points for a sharing circle. You know, we're not here to fix people because no one needs fixing. We're just on our journeys and we're at exactly where we're supposed to be. Yeah. And maybe someone will help by sharing something that hopefully will light the way without it being dogmatic, without it being forceful, without it being a correction. I feel like the schooling system has left a legacy where people either don't know how to communicate properly or communicate in a way that is one that creates hierarchy. Mm. Instead of saying, well, this works for me. Reiki works for me. You might interview someone next week that goes, Reiki has never made me feel calm. <laughs> and that's the truth of their experience. Yeah, But I'll share here tonight that this toolbox that I've gathered has definitely helped me and I'm blessed to say it's also helped other people. Yeah, and I think it's a great thing that, that you have got such a wide variety there. And one of the things that I find so interesting is that you know the variety is most important and I think that everybody should, if they can, um, or I invite them to rather, give everything a go because what I've personally found is that people will most often share the thing that that impacted their lives the most. And the yoga instructor will say, Masha, you need yoga. You need nothing else but yoga. Yoga, yoga, yoga. And the meditation instructor says, you just need meditation. The Wim Hof um, breathing practitioner says breath work. You know, um, if, it's, if it's Tai Chi, whatever it is. And I think that we, I can sometimes even forget as a yoga and meditation teacher that every single body is uniquely different from the last. And I think, yeah, although I believe that almost everybody, if not everybody, can do yoga and meditation. There's still a plethora of different modalities out there. And the idea would be to really invest the time in searching and and just giving everything a really good solid crack, you know, at least two or three goes to find out whether or not you like it. And between 15, 20 plus different things, one of them will resonate, align, and, and just really, um, you know, push you to the next level, which I think is fantastic. Well, something that I don't think many people know about me is that I've been teaching people who live with disabilities yoga and meditation and breathwork. Mm. And what it has taught me is that because there's such an emphasis in the West on the body, many people are excluded from that narrative. So most yoga studios or Pilates studios or gyms will not have accessibility, will not modify their classes to be inclusive for someone who comes in who either needs crutches or is in a wheelchair or is low functioning. And funnily enough, by modifying everything that we share to their needs, the benefit is extraordinary. <laughs> I've been working with a woman who 
lives with quadriplegia. So that basically means that she used to be quadriplegic after breaking her neck and was in a wheelchair for 15 years. But now because of her rehabilitation, she can walk. So she lives with a condition of quadriplegia without being bound to the wheelchair. And I remember going to the first yin class that we were going to do together and I designed a sequence. And when I got there, I had to throw it all out the window because her needs were so specific that none of that would have been appropriate. So instead, we did some simple exercises, breathing techniques, deepening the breath, filling up the diaphragm. And at the end of the class, she had come in with crutches. And at the end of the class, she forgot that she, she had forgotten that she needed crutches. Really? She was zipping around the room. So when I hear that people uh, create spaces that are exclusive, it comes back to this idea that we were talking about with religion. It's the same thing. If the space is exclusive, it has fundamentally ignored and rejected the only spiritual truth that there is. Wow. And I'm, it's, it's becoming more and more central to my passions to bring the work of yoga and meditation to as many people as possible. Every, everyone who has lungs and is alive <laughs> can practice yoga and meditation. Yes. There's no right or wrong way. There's no peak pose that needs to be addressed. Uh, it doesn't matter how long you can hold your handstand. That doesn't, me- that's not the measure of a good human being. I'm not, that's not the right word, not a good human being, but like those things are detrimental to understanding what it means to be interconnected with other people. Yes. No, I completely agree. And I, I love that so much. I think for me as a yoga instructor, one of the reasons why I feel like my classes were relatively packed out in new places where I wasn't well known is simply due to the fact that I couldn't touch and still can't believe it or not touch my toes with straight legs. And I remember, you know, I used to skate around a caravan park and and I'd say to everyone, hey, everyone, you know, yoga on the beach at five o'clock. Love to see you there. Come along. And it was mostly, it was mostly males that would say this, but they would look at me and go, oh, Yoga. Cheryl, did you hear that? This bloke wants me to come and do yoga at five o'clock. Not for me, mate. I can't even touch my toes. And I'd lean in and say, mate, I hear you. I've been teaching for five years and I can't touch my toes. And they go, you're kidding. I say, no, it's not about that. It's about uniting mind, body, soul, and spirit. It's about community and connection, you know, witnessing, hearing, seeing each other. And all of these people that had never come to a yoga class because of this stigma that they didn't have the pants, they didn't have the mat, you know, they weren't flexible enough, all came. And all there on the beach, all in their, you know, stubby shorts and singlets, just getting in down dog. And I was like, what is this? This is amazing. And I think if we just take away what the Western society has turned it into, then it can be very easily for everybody. I completely agree. I love that. So long as you have a heart beating in your your chest, lungs and are conscious you can practice yoga Mm. yoga and meditation really at their core are the most inclusive practices that anyone can participate in and any idea against that is a symptom of a society that focuses on able bodies and a certain aesthetic or a certain standard or a certain ideal at the expense of anything that does not satisfy that which is a deep disservice to the wisdom of yoga, which is all about activating our awareness and our consciousness to remember who we truly are and how to express ourselves freely. Yes. Oh, so much juicy stuff in this. I'm loving it. Wow. Yeah, I think um, it's it's refreshing to hear you say that because part of my next chapter is bringing out these mental health journals and, and there's a, 
a box in there that says, did I do my yoga practice today? And, and there have been a couple of people that have kind of um, politely mentioned that, that that might be a way of getting a no because not everyone does yoga. And, that, you know, of course, there would be a, a video with this and things like that. But when I heard that, I was like, wow, am I creating a template page for a journal where people are actually going to be getting, you know, a red cross, which I don't think is a bad thing. But, but I, I feel um, in deep agreement with you that everyone can do yoga. As you said, if you've got lungs and a beating heart in your chest, then you're good to go. So that's fantastic. Um, all right, let's move on. We've got a couple more things I want to touch on just briefly, briefly before we get to your book. Um, let's just very quickly jump into a bit of music and a bit of art. Um, I see you posting. We're going to get all of your social media tags later on so that we can all follow your amazing work. You draw the most incredible, and dare I say it, please, like incredible, strange, weird, funny, sad sometimes. Emotionally, I'm unsure what to feel. Like sometimes I just see these faces. I go, what? I don't even know what to think about that. And I'd love... I guess on the art side of things, if if you do have anything, I know that it might be upside down and backwards with the mirrored screen, but can you just share a bit of what you draw and where that comes from? Because that is... I've never seen, just FYI, I've never seen in all of my years anything like what you draw ever. And I think it's... Really? Never. Is that I've, true? Well, yeah. I've never seen that before. So... One of my best friends, Frankie, is watching. Shout out to Frankie. She lives in LA and she's a painter. And I was always very inspired by what she does and what she creates and how she expresses herself uh, through her paintings. And I was under the impression that because I did not have a Master's of Fine Art, by the way, I'm not claiming that my art in any capacity <laughs> is at the standard of a Master's of Fine Arts, but I was really under the impression that if I don't have a Master of Fine Art, you're not allowed to pick up a brush, you're not allowed to pick up a gel pen, you're not allowed to interact with those things because that's not who you are, that's not the identity that you've assumed. And last year during the lockdown, I had enough time to really reflect and pick up new hobbies and new things to pass the time. And I had a black journal and I started illustrating gold and white illustrations intuitively uh that's the only genuine answer i can give you it's all intuitive i don't plan them i don't think about them uh a lot of people have told me that they look very familiar to them many people have gotten them as tattoos which has been very affirming and wasn't expecting that uh i don't know if the resolution is going to be clear i drew that it is clear and it looks fantastic Wow. And then... So good. Yeah, a lot of abstract stuff. I just like doing one a day, you know? Yeah. And then people seem to like them. So I don't really question that. <laughs> Amazing. And then... Awesome. And they're open to interpretation, and there's no right or wrong answer. Yeah. And the beautiful thing is I'm really not attached to them at all. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just a nice way to be creative every day and remind myself that I can be creative 
every day, even if it's just putting pen to paper and seeing what comes out and being surprised by it. Mm, fantastic. How long would you say that, generally speaking, one of those would take you? Uh, two minutes. Really? Yeah, unless I started doing portraits of my friends. I don't have a photo here. They take like half an hour to an hour, but that's because I'll be doing every curl of their hair and that will fill out the whole page. Uh, but a one-line drawing is... It's basically to get yourself into the flow state. So get out of your head and move the energy out of your being. Great. I love it. Keep them coming because every time you post a story of one each day, I'm inspired. Oh, wow. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like, you know, I've I've never... I've never looked at myself as any kind of artist. And if anyone that's on here that knows me well enough enough would know that actually drawing and painting just brings up this immense amount of frustration in me because um, I feel like something happened in school where I was belittled for my terrible drawing and now I... I just avoid it at all costs. So to hear to... I, I had a teacher in the eighth grade. The assignment was to draw a tree. And admittedly, my tree was shoddy. <laughs> but she looked at the tree and announced in front of the whole class that it was not a tree. And I remember that having a very severe impact on me. And I'm pretty sure I didn't pick up a pencil again and I never took an art class after that. Wow. And then last year I was... Yeah, so in love with my friend's work and what she was doing, and she made it more tangible for me. So, I'm, if anything, I'm indebted to her mm. very much. That's um, that's a very interesting story because I mean, mine very quickly was specifically actually um, I wasn't going to go into it, but just to kind of resonate and um, well, yeah, I guess resonate for the moment is what's coming through. But I remember we had to draw a chicken, and it was just like you know, big circle, small circle, couple of wings and some legs. And I drew that, and my teacher held up the same thing in the whole class, and she said, this is not a chicken. This is not even close. This is not a chicken. This is not what you do. And I remember... We had the same experience. Oh, my goodness. And I'm still there. Like, I haven't picked up a pen. I think if Alana Wilkinson is is on here at the moment, you know, she tries to... She's a great illustrator, and she'll try and hand me a pen and say, just draw something. And I'm like, nope, I don't want to do it. So I um, yeah, I, I applaud you for, for picking that up and... And um, taking that step. What's been really funny in all modesty, like over the years, between so many different focuses and offerings, to start drawing last year and then for people being like, wow, we want prints, wow, we want it framed, we want it tattooed, we want all these things. I'm like, this, (laughs) this, after all the other things that I've developed, this is what you want. So that was, that was funny. You know, I feel like if we can surprise ourselves and take up a new hobby, like learn a new instrument just because you can. Yeah. And it might not sound good. And it might, the thing is, it might sound amazing. That's the thing that, like, on the other side of fear is the permission to allow yourself to be wonderful. Our greatest mm. fear is not that we are inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. So, for example, the fear of putting a paintbrush to the page is not that it's going to look terrible. It's that it's actually going to look wonderful. And it might be worth sitting either next to the Mona Lisa or replacing her. Like, <laughs> it, if you're willing to give yourself the permission to give it a go, what will you reflect on? Will you you reflect on the fact that it came out all right or that you didn't do it at all, you know? Yeah. What will you remember? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that story of yours with relation to, um, you know, essentially being shut down for your drawing leads nicely into a quick story on your music because I know when we first met, 
you had just picked up the guitar and you did mention that it was something for you that you wanted to pick up for ages, but you're like, no, I'm too old. I should have started when I was younger. I, I wish I had have, but it's too late. And you've now done that and you're playing some gigs. Again, like as fast as you publish books, as fast as you just like start drawing and things become, um, you know, apparent that people want them in their living rooms and tattooed on their skin, so does music come to you quite quickly. So bust into that because you've got a beautiful voice, which I was fortunate enough to hear when we sat in the park together in Mullum. And, and now I look at your story six months later and, you know, you're playing at all sorts of bars and venues. So, Yes, yeah, so I put off and delayed learning the guitar specifically, even though my dream has been to be a professional musician for as long as I can remember, and it still is. And being in this area is definitely nurturing that. Uh, and I delayed learning the guitar because my pattern as a Virgo growing up was you either get it right and you get it immediate, like, immediately right and you master it, or you don't do it at all. So to have to sit down and learn how to alternate between chords and pluck and all of these things is not something that can be picked up immediately. It actually takes dedication and devotion. And then I had a shift in perception and I decided that I was going to start building these muscles and these tools. And instead of fearing it, I started loving it. And suddenly the atmosphere of a room can change immediately and people can drop into pure presence. It's, it's the best thing I've ever bought. I'm so Mm. glad that since we met, I got my guitar and we just share. It's, I, I'm getting a little like, ah, it's, it's a, it's a nice feeling. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. And mm. I look forward to the day that I get to get back into Mullum and, uh, and play some songs with you. I think that would be a wonderful thing. I look forward to the day where you can get here safely and we can do that too. And hopefully earn our lunch by singing in the streets. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, well, yeah, we could start a band and everything. I'm so ready for this. I wish they invented... I'm, I've been ready this whole time. Yeah. No, good. Well, I mean, we've already started the band anyway. We, we, we sung Hallelujah in the park. Yeah. And um, it was a great time. Awesome. All right. I think... I, are you good if we, are we, can we crack open your book? Is that, is it time? Are all the followers, have you all had enough backstory of Moshe? You've heard of all these wonderful things. You've seen his paintings. You've heard about Reiki, um, music, art, yoga, the whole lot. So this, this is Moshe's book and it's amazing. It's called Forgiveness is a Superpower. Uh, I actually bought a copy before I left when I was in Byron last, and I love this so much. Essentially, it's it's 360 pages of, I would say, would you call them forgiveness affirmations almost? 360 affirmations of self-forgiveness. Of self-forgiveness. So. Yeah. And and just to yeah. quickly read a couple, um, I've, I've, I mean, there's, they're all amazing. They, they really are. But I've got a couple here that um, I've, really resonated with 107 I forgive myself for failing to live up to my own expectations of what life should be I pause I breathe I look around me and I weep in awe wow 108 I forgive myself for being so hard on myself 
I'm going to go to another one that I like just before we start hearing Moshe's story about this. 155, I've got them written down. I forgive myself for how this harmed me and others. Every word I breathe into existence, I conjure into reality. I manifest and realize I summon into being. I give life, I give birth to is a vivid portrait of my soul, my heart, my joy and my pain. What we ad- what, what we admonish in others, we despise in ourselves. Other people are our prettiest and our ugliest mirrors. Say what you mean, mean what you say. Solve problems resolutely. Breathe into existence the reality you deserve. Well, we've got some major hearts coming, which is so good. I'm going to read one more, or maybe two more actually. This is 156. I forgive myself for hiding behind my intentions when my actions fail to reflect them. To set clear intentions and to realise them is to live in complete equilibrium. Beautiful. Now, just just before I, I get you to speak to us about this, Moshe, which every word that I read in this, my my body shivers, actually. And I'm going to do what I like to call a random flick. I've used this book in a couple of different ways. I've read it, and I've loved it, but I've also just had days where I've just maybe been feeling a little off, and so what I've done is just, like, close my eyes and flick to a page, and I, I feel like I just read the perfect thing. I want to do that in just a second. I'm going to read everybody this just quickly. I told Moshe I was going to kind of blindside him with this. Moshe wrote this on... It was a Facebook post that I read a, a while ago, maybe a month or so, and and I just I didn't tell him how much I liked it. I just kept it to myself, <laughs> which is quite selfish, actually. But I want to read this to you now because it it's quite powerful in my opinion. So this is what it says. This is in relation to Moshe's book. The journey with this book, my second child, continues to be inspiring, expansive, challenging, and vulnerable. People often ask what led to me to write about forgiveness. I tend to joke lightheartedly that it was a combination of complex traumas and that writing was an exorcism, a spiritual surgery I performed on myself, a cathartic act of reclamation in healing my relationship with myself. I share this book in the hope that it may provide helpful to readers too. Even the word forgiveness shifts something in our hearts. The vibration carries the reminder that it dwells within us at all times and that we have the power to forgive ourselves first and all others. Sharing this part of my journey has led to such wonderful connections, deep conversations, vulnerable expressions, intimate moments of soulful nudity, laying our hearts bare and empowering each other to paint the past with forgiveness so we may return to presence and be free. To those who have supported, affirmed, and encouraged me, thank you. And to those who have purchased their own edition, thank you for allowing me to be a part of your journey. I have sold out of copies for now. Let me know if you would like to pre-order your own. Whoa! Brother! That is... That's a serious paragraph right there. Um... Okay, I'm just going to give that 10 seconds to land for everyone.
The vibration carries that remind that it dwells within all of us and that we have the power to forgive ourselves first and all others. Sharing this part of my journey has led to such wonderful connections, deep conversations, vulnerable expressions, intimate moments of soulful nudity, laying our hearts bare and empowering each other to paint the past with forgiveness so we may return to presence and be free. Unbelievable. We're going to do a flick. I forgive myself for chasing dragons and losing sight of the earth beneath me. Brother, please take the floor. Tell us all where this came from, how this began. Um, you've done an incredible job. I Honestly, I've got goosebumps. So take the floor. I'm going to sit back and listen. Forgiveness is a superpower. So... I flew to South India at the beginning of 2019 with the intention of healing myself. And in the piece that you read a few moments ago, uh, some people go through the dark night of the soul. And in 2017, I was given the divine gift of a dark year of the soul, which doesn't mean depression and anxiety, although I've had my experiences with that as well. But it's more about being given certain life events and tasks that are arduous. And... It's a divine mission to be able to navigate and move through those things and come out on the other side whole. Uh, so my intention when I went to India was to heal. And the lesson that I learned in India is that to forgive yourself is an opportunity to enter presence and liberation unlike anything else. So whether it's modalities of therapy or counseling or embodiment or any of those things they all lead back to the same place which is you are either holding yourself in compassion or you are holding yourself in resentment and when you express that about your experiences with other people as you read out you are actually expressing and communicating the way you perceive yourself so i was in the training and we were waking up every day at about 5.15 and going until 8 p.m. And everyone was busy writing down the anatomy and the muscle groups and how to adduct the shoulders. And I was sitting there every day in my pain body. Eckhart Tolle talks about the pain body. And I was working to release the knots and the agony and the excruciating pain that had accumulated in my body. Uh, and the only thing that did that was forgiveness. So when I came back to Melbourne, uh, my friend's lover at the time asked me what I had learned in India, and I said that forgiveness is a superpower. And the only way I could organize my experience was to put it down. Writing has been a huge lifeline for me throughout all of these experiences to get as clear and organized on objective experiences. So to be able to zoom out, to be able to look at things from a bird's eye view, to be able to expand your awareness and shift your perception. And I felt that it had been so transcendental for me that if I could even help one other person remember that it was available to them, then that would be enough. And I feel like I could cry. It's a, <laughs> It's been a year since I launched it and... 
Yeah, I'm getting uh, <laughs> emotional. Please uh, do. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to be able to connect with people so substantially and so deeply when someone says, hey, what are you up to? Or what are your interests? What do you do? Oh, I write. I like to write. What do you like to write about? Well, actually, I really like writing about healing and evolution. And I love the work of forgiveness. And suddenly their face just drops straight into the heart, almost like an elevator. They've just gone from the busyness of the mind that wants to categorize and put you in a box. Oh, where, what do you do? What do you work? All the things. And suddenly, and all I said, all I said was forgiveness. I didn't even say anything else. And suddenly they're just in their heart. They go, Oh, mm. wow. What do you have to say about that? And I, I tell them, I have a lot to say about that, that the bitterness and the resentment and the greed is the thing that is causing such distress and turmoil in your inner landscape that at the end of the day, your relationship with yourself is the most important thing of all. And that's the most beautiful thing about self-love and the beautiful side of being selfish, like for lack of a better word, nurturing yourself so that when you interact with other people, you can be fully present instead of desiring something from them that you haven't fulfilled within yourself, instead of projecting onto them something that you've not taken responsibility for within yourself. It's, it's work that is still revealing itself to me. This started two and a half years ago, and the book has been out for a little bit over a year, uh, and it's just the beginning. Yeah. It's just the beginning. I, I feel as though the depth and the layers and the variations, like how people can walk through this life carrying decades of experiences that accumulate as baggage on their spine and they are so bogged, bogged by these experiences. And that for me, this has proven to be the most useful tool to release that. Mm. I love it. I am... I've actually got a question for you, and I think I, I feel like this is the best way to do this. I'm just going to, before I, because we want to spend a bit of time on this before we end, before I ask this question, I'm going to do another blind flick for the people that have just jumped on board. Quite enjoy these blind flicks. Um, 97. I forgive myself for believing my bullies. I thank them. They helped me construct my self-worth. I know who I am and how I deserve to be treated because of them. So if any of my friends are watching, they'll know I'm a broken record about this stuff. Not necessarily about bullies, but about how part of the vernacular or the day-to-day uh, conversation that people are comfortable expressing is that they are who they are in spite of the experiences that they've had. In spite of those experiences, I'm a fantastic human being. It's quite brash. But when you drop into the truth, I only know who I am and what's important to me and what my values are because of those experiences. If there was nothing that had been jeopardized or severed, I would have no reason to care about the things that I care about. People mm -hmm. walk through this life in such a autopilot fashion that something needs to jolt them into awareness and into being awake that suddenly they go, oh, 
I really do value patience and I really do value respect and I value integrity. And I, I wasn't thinking about those things previously. And this form of intense disrespect, I'm not going to ignore that. I'm going to fully take that on board and develop my ability to be resilient. And because of that example of disrespect, I will actually now cultivate respect within myself and how I treat other people. It's because of those experiences, not in spite of them. A very, a very common example is a lot of people will say, it's in spite of my parents. <laughs> a lot of people will speak very negatively about their upbringing and how they were raised. It is in spite of my parents that I am who I am today and I've, I've designed this new life. And it's like, no, it's because of your parents that any of those things matter to you. Yeah. It's because of them. And that's why you can forgive them and that's why you can also be grateful. Otherwise, you can't be. If it's in spite of them, you will hold them in such venomous resentment for the rest of your life. And if you're carrying that energy with you, that is the magnetic quantum field around your heart. And that is how you're moving through this world. And the last thing you want to do is magnetize anything from that place. That is damaging and harmful and has that dangerous consequences. Wow. So good. So true. We... um. We touched on this earlier in the day when we spoke just to check in, but I'd love for you to speak to the idea of when, when someone reads this book, you sort of mentioned to me, you said, you know, you, you can, absolutely, you can just read it and just read it, but but there was more of a, of a practice involved, an integration with the book, you know, um, as opposed to just kind of flicking mindlessly, let's say, from page to page. W- would you be open to speaking to that briefly? Yes, definitely. So... I went to the Art of Living Festival by Sri Sri Ravi Shankar in India and he spoke about super intuition and how to devote yourself every day, whether it's in your morning or really, if you can, in every waking moment to an artful way of living. So being in awareness, being in presence, embodying and becoming compassion, being compassion, not not something that you have to practice, but essentially making that your first nature. So with that as the template, or the inspiration for this book, one of. The whole purpose of it is that it becomes integrated into who you are, so that if someone can hold themselves in compassionate forgiveness, that's actually a vow and a pledge and a promise that they make to themselves to be the best that they can to never recreate the things that they have forgiven themselves for. So if I was disastrously impatient and I was short and I was rude and I was entitled and I was all of those things and I land in compassionate forgiveness for myself for that, but then I go out and recreate that, that's, that's lacking integration. If you, read, if you read a passage in the book and it moves you, but then you go out and recreate the exact thing that moved you, then it's like someone teaching you a breathing technique, and then you don't use it. <laughs> yes. You know? Counterproductive. If this could, if this could be... It's, it's, a, it's a little manual or a Bible, for a lack of a better word. It's my personal manual and how I want to lead my own life, how I desire and intend to lead my own life. Mm, I love it. I love it so much. Um, I want to... What do I want to do? I'm going to read the back. And then I think we, let's just see where this goes, hey? Let's not make too many plans. So the back, 360 degrees of forgiveness. I am repairing my relationship with myself. I am repairing with love. 
From here, I can begin to repair my relationship with everybody else. I forgive. I forgive myself. I forgive you. One of the things that I really like about this, and and you may have heard of this before, actually, and I, I feel like anybody can do this, and I encourage you to do this. But you can actually, it's it's a practice, and and I run this in my relationships workshop where I get everyone to essentially, they they do two things, right? First, they they shut their eyes, and and they repeat the words or they listen to the words, it, whatever works for you, and they they say the words, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry." And, and they wait and they see, with no judgment, if possible, with no judgment, who pops up. Who in our lives has perhaps done some things unjust toward us that, that we didn't appreciate. And you say those words, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And these people pop up. And you think, wow, okay, maybe there's an apology that has to be had there. And I, I, I want to be clear, I think I might have said that backwards. So you're saying the words, I'm sorry, because there's something that you have done unintentionally, hopefully unintentionally or intentionally to somebody else, and, and you know that you have to forgive them. Now, on the back side of that, once you say the words, I'm sorry, they, they get these people in their heads and they write them down. And the second thing you do is, is you say, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. And the idea is the same, is that people will potentially hop in, pop into your head, and, and that is... That is where maybe they have done something that you didn't appreciate, and and when they pop in there, you ask yourself the question: If they came and said, "I, you know, I'm sorry," would you be able to forgive them? And I think to speak to that in this book, it it really is such an incredible. It's a superpower. I mean, you couldn't have like named it any better. It really is a superpower, and and I think Louise Hay expresses it in her book. Um, you can hear your life. You know, as much as it might seem incredibly difficult and counterintuitive and counter everything, you know, even if someone did the nastiest, nastiest, nastiest thing, you know, really, and please, I'd love for you to speak to this, what she, what she kind of, I guess, states is that you only really have two choices, to let go, to forgive and let go and live your life, and the opposite to that, the only other thing is to, to hold on and to be angry and bitter and resentful, and even now I can feel like... Even the words make my body move, bitter, resentful, angry, you know, and and I think that there can be such a, a fine line for people where they think, well, I'm not going to, how do I forgive that person because they did this terrible, you know, who, like got with my partner or stole from me or whatever it might be and and to forgive them might seem like like the furthest away thing that they would want to do, but... I guess from reading your book and, and that one um, passage of Louise Hay, I almost think that it's the only thing to do. So Michael Bernard Beckwith is very uh, highly regarded in the world of new age spirituality and new paradigm thinking. And he says that all forgiveness is self-forgiveness. And in, in the exercise that you shared, first of all, thank you. That is so potent and powerful. So thank you for sharing that. As you've now read the book, what I would invite you to do is can you look when your eyes are closed at your own reflection and find three things that you need to tell yourself that you're sorry for, that you yourself need to hear, not from anyone else? And can you hold yourself with such reverence and such grace 
as though you were holding a small child in front of you and extending nothing but unconditional compassion and forgiveness for all of those things and vowed to never recreate it. And then as soon as you've done that for yourself, once you start seeing the behavior in other people, your first nature, not even your second nature, your first nature is to forgive them because you've already identified that within yourself. Jesus Christ <laughs> said, it is very easy to find the splinter in another's eye. It is incredibly difficult to find the log in one's own. Wow. It's very easy. It's very easy to see the de defect in another person and to find it monstrous and ugly and turn your way from it or turn yourself away from it because it's so hideous to behold. But can you really look at the violence that lives within yourself or the parts of your psyche that are orphaned or alienated? And can you look at them with compassion and actually take them in and reunite with those parts of yourself and forgive yourself for ever having rejected them? Because it's not the bully who rejected you. It's the bully who taught you that you had something that forced you into a position of inferiority. And it happened enough times for you to create a maladaptive belief around that. And that means that it becomes your own idea. The mind and the ego are very powerful. You say something to someone enough times, they start to believe it and it becomes their own idea. Mm. So the qualm at the end of the day is not with the bully from 20 years ago. It's with yourself for subscribing, resubscribing to the same idea that disempowers you because someone said something on the playground. So you're going to forgive them and suddenly you're free? No, because they're not here with you. They're not in the room with you. They're not sliding into your DMs. They're not blowing up your phone. They're not texting you. They're not matching with you on Tinder. They're not doing any of those things. So if you're going to generate peace within yourself, you can't wait for someone else to walk in and give you the apology or the closure that you've been anticipating this whole time, that is a disservice. Mm. If you can identify it within yourself and you can say, you know what? It costs me nothing to share. There is a log in my eye. I did do that. I hold myself in compassionate forgiveness and I vow to never recreate that. I vow to redeem myself to myself and to others. If that's not, you ask me what my religion is, I think that's my religion. The art of redemption and using compassionate forgiveness is the only superpower that I need. I don't need a invisibility cloak. I don't need to fly. I wish I could teleport, but I can't. <laughs> uh, but in reality, that is the, it's the only useful thing that I can think of. It, 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 it helps me connect to my authenticity, to my integrity, to my dignity. It helps me understand myself and helps me understand other people. So when other people behave in a way that is questionable or difficult, I can see, wow, you are having an experience and I can be with you because I've seen that within myself. And that's the process. It's a practice. It's a muscle that needs to be built every single day. It's not something, something that I had to learn very quickly was I was under the impression that I had stepped into Christ consciousness, that forgiveness was my superpower and that I would never have a problem ever again. And I learned the hard way was you're slightly more prepared for when the problems arise, mm. you are slightly more prepared. You will not avoid problems. We are on planet earth as human beings, the human condition. It's not called the human wonderland. It's called the human condition and the human condition entails problems. 
and those problems can be solved. This work or any spiritual practice, anything that connects you to your heart, anything that lands you in your body, anything that allows you to use the, the sharp part of your mind that is discerning, anything that connects you to all of those things and also something that is beyond yourself, whether it's the land, whether it's the divine, as above, so below, anything that connects you to these pillars of truth, that is the spiritual practice. There's really nothing else. If you place yourself in superiority, I meditated for 60 days in silence or I drank 40 buckets of ayahuasca. None of those things are real. The only thing that's real is can you look the person in the eyes that has had the deepest impact on you and say, I have nothing but compassion and forgiveness for you and I love you and I welcome you into my life. There's no amount of yoga modules, 500 hours, 1,000 hours, Reiki masters, all of these things. There's no way to ever reach a destination because on, on this journey, and we're all on our journey, the only journey is towards the grave. And you can take that as a very optimistic thing or as a very neg negative and pessimistic thing. To me, death is the ultimate surrender. Instead of fearing it, you can actually befriend it. And when you start living in that way, you start realizing that every moment is a blessing. Why would I sacrifice that moment, that miracle, to the past that has already died? There's this story. Uh, a woman asked a monk, two monks, to help her crossing a river because the river had risen and she couldn't get to her home. And the monks had a task. They were on a mission. He didn't want to stop for her, but one of the monks did. He helped her get over and it made them late for their mission, for their destination. Two hours later, they get to their destination and the monk is still infuriated that they wasted so much time helping her. And the other monk tells, tells him, but we, we left her back there. You've still been carrying her this whole time. Wow. She's, she's back there. She got to her home. We got to our destination. You've been carrying her this whole time. That's for you to make peace with, not with her. Wild. What an analogy. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, that if you can architecturally design a sense of peace or in a sense of a sanctuary within your own being through anything that connects you to any of the things that we spoke about. There'll be no need to hear the words from the bully or the teacher or the ex-lover or anything. And you won't ever need to hear those things because you've already given it to yourself. Mm. The analogy that everyone knows on a plane when the, air masks are deployed the parent always puts it on themselves before they put it on the child otherwise they are of no use to that child everyone knows that that's very popular in the yoga community that's very popular in the spiritual world and that's what we're doing here if i can really sit with those uncomfortable if i can embrace that discomfort and lean into it we have a question mm. I'd love to answer that question. It's a really powerful question. And hmm, 
Just while you think, Moshe, I'm just going to read it out for people just in case they've missed it. But it just says, what about forgiving the abuser, really cultivating authentic forgiveness? So, first of all, thank you for asking that question because many people have all these ideas about this realm or this body of work. Not my body of work, this actual stream of the spiritual world. And they have a lot of trouble with it because they believe that it actually ignores and erases some very real and severe human experiences. And to answer your question, the first point is to be in radical acceptance that those events did take place. So beyond blame, beyond, beyond accusation, beyond right and wrong, beyond duality or dichotomy, to accept that it did happen even when you can't believe that it did or you actually don't want to because it's so horrific. The entry point is to accept it because a lot of times someone will be like, I can't believe that that happened. How dare they? What's wrong with them? I just can't believe it. Why would I forgive them? So you have to return to your breath. There is a lot of violence in the world. We are living in a, a time full of such misinformation and uncertainty and the consequences of that has been tremendous violence, both physical and psychological. The portal to forgiveness starts with acceptance. And when you can accept what was and what is exactly as it is, not as it could have been, not as it should have been, simply as it was, then the door opens to being able to forgive what happened. Whether you walk through that door or not is your own decision with your own integrity and your own moral compass or your ethical values. In the spiritual world, there's also the idea that I am the Buddha and I'm also the Satan. I am Mother Teresa and I'm also Hitler. All of these energies live within me. If I externalize and I see it outside of myself, I've again forgotten the illusion of separation and that these forms of poor behavior, violence, they live within each and every one of us, the duality of being. So to answer your question and to reiterate what I'm saying, the very, the very first thing that can be done, and this is something that takes time. This is not something that's done overnight. This is not a, spiritual drive-through this is not a spiritual mcdonald's where you get like a quick fix this is some of the most rigorous and arduous work that anyone can sign up to uh it's not for the faint of heart you have to step into and accept that the wound was created in the way that it was created and only once you fully accept it then you can begin to provide the balm or the soothing uh the soothing balm that will heal it and then that scar becomes a medallion of perseverance and you accept that it did happen. Most of the time people are in such disbelief and incredulity. I can't, how dare they? How could they? When someone says, how dare they? You answer easily because they did. No, many people ask that as a rhetorical question. How could they? How dare they? Easily. <laughs> so easily because they did. If we stopped living in disbelief and we entered a state of complete and uncompromising acceptance, forgiveness becomes a lot more accessible. Forgiveness becomes who you are. 
But that doesn't mean you have to tolerate those kinds of behaviors. It doesn't mean you have to stand up for those things. It's quite the opposite. It, it once again teaches you your value system. But hopefully with that awareness, you can move forward with such clarity of mind that ideally will never recreate itself. And when those situa situations arise and there's a red flag, you stop, you breathe and you go, you know what? I know my value and I know my worth. I've been through this tunnel before. I'm going to take another route. And that's, and if anything, and I hope this is communicated clearly, that's to empower everyone, not to disempower and blame, to empower the person to know you had these ex experiences so that you can know the path forward. And only you know the truth. No one else does. Wow. I, uh, I'm actually so glad that that question was posed and that you answered it the way you did. I think that it, it didn't come to me, actually. All day I was thinking about this interview and, and I thought, you know, what, what are we going to speak about? And we'll just kind of roll with, with what comes. But, but that is a really good question because I think that, you know, to me that feels like, again, that dancing on that on that balance beam because if there has been some form of abuse, especially, you know, if you were a child, for instance, um, which, of course, like hearts go out to anybody that's that is, has experienced that themselves or know that's of someone that has... But to forgive that person is, you know, as you've just mentioned, it, you know, it's, it's accepting it. Ra I would almost say radical acceptance, you know, and moving from I'm that gonna, place. I'm going to share a poem that changed my life and a poem that I wrote. So the poem that changed my life is Forgiveness is the Fragrance the lotus sprays on the heel that has crushed it. Forgiveness is the fragrance the lotus sprays on the heel that has crushed it. And then some time passed and that inspired me to think of another way to describe that same idea. Forgiveness melts avalanches of despair and resent suffocating the heart. Tom earlier mentioned that even when he started using those words, his body recoiled. He found himself tightening, constricting. Forgiveness will melt the avalanche of despair and resent suffocating the heart. Mm. That's, that's the pain and anguish and misery that we condemn ourselves to. We punish ourselves. We don't, we don't have to con condemn ourselves to that fate. The keys to our own liberation are accessible to us in every moment. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had someone here with... Do I forgive? Yes. Yeah. Great. Wow. Okay. There you go. It's actually my father that just wrote that. Wow. Yeah. Hello, hello, Mr. Rob. <laughs> Welcome aboard, Dad. I'll uh, see you at some stage tonight when I'm out of this room and into the next. Um, you're a gift. Yeah, you are a gift. And I want to read what someone wrote earlier. It, it went a little past. I feel like this has been a year's worth of therapy in this conversation. Absolutely wow. beautiful. I feel like I've just had a year's worth of, worth of therapy in this conversation. Absolutely beautiful. Um, what I want to do... Wow. 
Yeah, I wish I wish what I was saying before. I wish I had someone here that just that was just um, writing down. I think there's been about thirty minimum minimum thirty things, thirty like little blocks that you've said that have just made me go whoa, and I like it. It's a good feeling. Means the um means the interview's going well. It's a <laughs> it's a it's a bodily response, which is good, which is really good. Um, can we? I think the first thing that, that to do is a blind flick. Just one. We'll do both pages because they're quite small, but potent nonetheless. I forgive myself for not being okay all of the time. 264. I forgive myself for second-guessing myself. Great. Let's... Let's, let's, let's. What have I got written here? We've spoke about integration. We love that. I think before we move on and, and essentially start um, rounding this up, can we just very quickly grab off of you where we can purchase this wonderful, wonderful book? Where do people go to? Um, I want like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. What else have you got? Have you got um, Snapchat? We want it all. We want all the tags for everything. So, uh, my page is my name, Moshe Topol. So, at Moshe Topol. And my website is www.moshetopol.com. Uh, you can get the book there. And it doubles as a journal. So, uh, there's a lot of space. There's a lot of physical space on each page for reflection. And one of the most beautiful uh, points of feedback that I received was the visual space that is provided for people to reflect is a physical embodiment of what forgiveness is, and that's creating space within yourself so that you can actually be present with other people. Uh, So the physical copy is both the text and then also a journal, and you can also get it on the Kindle uh, through the Amazon portal. Uh, and I don't have TikTok or I don't have anything like that, but maybe I should start. I don't know. No, <laughs> oh, it's a lot to keep maybe. up with. I can tell you now. <laughs> um, okay. Amazing. And remind us all, how much is this book? So it's $33. Perfect. And yeah, I think on Kindle it is eight or nine bucks. Love it. Yeah. Thirty-three is that because three-three is I've forgotten what the numbers are, but three-three is like new beginnings or something, isn't it? Three-three is the age Jesus was when he entered like the state of Christ consciousness. So perfect, yeah, amazing, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, can we very quickly now? Well, no, it doesn't have to be very quickly. Did we? Was your poem on triggers? I wouldn't mind finishing on that poem on triggers and then a couple of quick questions and then we can wrap it up. So in this book, I wrote, I forgive myself for ignoring my triggers. And basically what inspired that is a lot of the time a trigger will arise and we will either ignore it or erase it or push it aside. I'm triggered. The conversation is over. I'm triggered. I'm walking away. And what the work has revealed is that the trigger is in reality a very profound transmission from your 
inner security system telling you that something needs deep resolution. And I'm close to publishing my second book. It's called The Bridge, and it's a journey from grief into grace. Uh, and in that, I can share a poem which says, the trigger is really a transmission inviting the trauma and the tragedy to be transmuted into tremendous triumph. And that's not about taking all your traumas and becoming this invincible human being that has no problems. It's not about that. If anything, you become so much more sensitive and in that you reach a state of triumph. You've triumphed over the lack of awareness, the opponent of ignorance. You've released the opponent of ignorance and instead your awareness allows you to heighten your sensitivity, not dull it, not numb it. You can renew your nerve endings so that you are viscerally alive in every moment, that you can embrace everything that is happening and welcome it instead of ignoring it or erasing it. So a lot of the time people will say, I'm triggered, I've got to go. I don't want to talk to you right now, I'm so triggered. And through this work, that would never end a conversation, that would start the conversation. Hey Tom, I need you to know, I'm feeling viscerally triggered right now. And I'm feeling that in my belly. And in my belly there is uh, a comet of rage that would like to express itself. If people actually had the means to communicate what was happening in their physical frame, in their body, while it was happening, in my, wow, I feel deeply sad, I feel unheard, I'm triggered because there was a time in my life as a child when my older brother was given more attention and I created a story that I've had to fight for attention in contrast with him and he got very easily. So whenever someone shuts me down or dismisses me or speaks over me, I'm triggered. But instead of telling you that, you don't know about my time with my brother as a child. You shouldn't know about my time <laughs> with my brother as a child. But that's not the end of the conversation. That's the gift. That's the transmission. I have an opportunity right now to think, what is, hmm, what gave birth to this? What is the origin of this? How did I come to feel this with such vehement electricity in my being? And there's usually an answer because that transmission is your awareness communicating to you mm. or even your past self. If you believe in how we can communicate with our past and future selves, your past self is giving you a very strong smoke signal or a Morse code telling you, Hey, this has happened before and it wasn't right. And it's happening again. And you have an opportunity to stand up for yourself and say, you know what? I deserve better than this. So I can forgive that and move forward with more clarity. Mm. I love that. And it it's such a practice, I think, to be so radically aware in that, you know, I guess would you say that ideally we're not, we're not um, unconsciously just blurting out our, our thoughts and our feelings. We have the capacity, the spaciousness to, to feel that and actually speak into those. And I think, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I mean, how many people listening on here, feel free to write something down. I mean, you know, I, I would I would like to say now after having done this kind of work and, and meeting people like Moshe and so many others that I could sit at a table and if I did have a trigger, I would be able to speak my truth in that moment and say, hey, everyone, can we just pause for a second? I'm feeling really triggered and that that would be heard and, 
and I'd be witnessed and we could work through that together. But I, I feel like a big problem is that we're almost conditioned in a sense to, to squash that very quickly, you know, and especially as men, you know, don't, don't show, don't look like you're weak. Don't cry. Don't bring anything up that's, that's negative. Just, just be a tough person. And I think for a lot of people, and I know myself, actually, I'll speak on behalf of myself before all of this, before this work, there was no way that I could have sat at a table, even if it was one-on-one with a dear friend and said, whoa, can we speak to what I'm feeling right now? I just wouldn't have had the courage. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have felt safe. I would have felt like I would have been ridiculed. All of these types of things. And I think with what you're kind of um, stating, I mean, gosh, can, can we imagine just for a second and, and can we even create a world where, where this is possible, where we're able to sit down with our brothers and our sisters and if someone's feeling uncomfortable, they feel safe enough and, and held and heard that, that they can say, hey, everyone, I'm feeling some stuff coming up right now. I'd love to, to explore this. Um, and if you're open to helping me, that would be fantastic. What a world that would be. One of my favourite authors is Roxanne Gay, and she has really helped me broaden my mind over the last few years. And she speaks about the illusion of safety and how we seek safety, safe spaces, safe opportunities, safe homes, safe landscapes, when in reality there is no such thing as a safe space. So when we're interacting with our triggers, it is a beautiful thing for someone to hold space for that, but at the end of the day, that other person is not responsible for your triggers. You are responsible for your own triggers mm. so that you can have the self-awareness to find the origin of that, to forgive the person who embedded that within you or the event or the instance or the scenario. And then when the other person is behaving in the exact same way, they don't get the brunt of 30 or 40 years of the trigger. They get a response. Hey, when I'm speaking, can you wait until I finish before you start speaking? Instead of saying, why are you talking over me? Because like that reaction is decades of being silenced and being suppressed. That's not the truth. That reaction, there's no other word for it, is not the truth. The response is, hey, when I'm speaking, I really value unwavering presence. And if you have something to say, I really look forward to hearing your response. Can you please add it after I've shared? They don't need to know that as a child, I needed someone needed to fight for attention or fight for them. That's not for them. The trigger is not their responsibility. Mm. How you compose, how you compose yourself, is your responsibility. And responsibility means the ability to respond. It's it's very simple. It's very complex and difficult to practice. But linguistically speaking, it is conscious communication. It is peaceful communication. It's the ability to say, hey, this is what I need. This is what I'm fond of. I'm really liking that at the moment, saying to someone, I'm really fond of this. I'm really fond of that. Are you fond of that too? Maybe you're not fond of that. Mm. Maybe we're not fond of the same things. Maybe that's okay. Instead of saying, uh, you're so rude. Like, you know, people want to be combative to prove their own inner security that has been jeopardized. I won't let it be jeopardized. So I'll put you as my opponent. But instead I can say, Hey, I really value. I really, I'm so fond of compassion. Tom, are you, what are you fond of? Let's get to know each other. (laughs) 
let's let's get to know each other. What are you fond of? What's important to you? What are your values? Yeah. Do we share some of the same values? Great. Is that something that we'd like to strengthen and consolidate together? Wow, that's wow, that is so beautiful. How how sensational that we actually share some beautiful things together. Oh, we don't? Would you like to? You wouldn't like to. Is this connection important to you? It's not. Well then you know what? I wish you nothing but the best. This is the thing. It doesn't have to become this volatile experience. What? You don't care about compassion? Well fuck you. Like it's none none of that is real. <laughs> yeah. None of that is authentic or genuine or true. That is and not to create separation or division, but when you think of lower or lowest lowest thoughts, that is a lower thought. The highest thought doesn't express such venom. It's not the truth. That's an easy thing to express. It's hard to say, what are your values, Tom? I actually don't know this about you. Can you can you help me understand you better? I want you to feel heard and seen, and I also want to feel heard and seen. Can I actually share that with the other person? Instead of saying, you know what? You're an obnoxious brat and I want nothing to do with you. That's easy. That's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to say, I have a lot of space in my heart for you and I really am looking for an avenue for us to understand each other. In the past, uh, I was hoping for ways to do that better and maybe now that we're in this communication together, we can strengthen that. We can move forward with that. Yeah. And the thing is, the thing is, this is a work in progress. So I'm very blessed to have people like you in my life that if I ever had to, if I ever actually had to say, Tom, what, what is the life for you? What, you would be able to communicate that to me. I've said to people, Hey, what's the life? What's going on for you right now? And they look at me and they go, what do you, what, what is a life for you? What do you, you've been in the Northern rivers for too long, <laughs> things like that. You know, they start responding. This is, this is a tool or a technique that has to be polished over time and has to be very relevant to the person you're interacting with. It's not a one size fits all. And a lot of people will resist it and be triggered by it. And you have to step into that. That doesn't end the conversation that starts the conversation. Mm. It's an art of living and I would put forgiveness as part of the foundation of that art of living. And I love that. Forgive, forgiveness, forgiveness as a, an apparatus or a, like think about 3D printers and what they can create in the world. Think about what forgiveness can create in the world. Yeah. Think about if we treated forgiveness with the same adoration and respect that we treat some of these new gadgets and tools, you know? Yeah, our iPhones. What, what it means... Know what it means to live in a household where things have happened and you're able to be in total peace and safety because you actually have forgiven yourself and the other person. Mm. It's pretty extraordinary. It's, it's not easy. No, it's, not easy. it's the, so the, big. The, and it's... The, the thing, the thing that a lot of people, uh, they are, they find tantalizing or seductive about the world of new age spirituality or the new paradigm or whatever you want to call it. Uh, is they think that it's the work of love and light. They believe that it's illumination, enlightenment, that it's Om Namah Shivaya, all is well, peace and love, light and blessings. But the duality of this existence means that it is only by penetrating into the unyielding corners of darkness that you allow more light to illuminate your whole experience. Can you repeat that, please, one more time? 
it is only by penetrating the unyielding corners of darkness and everywhere in between that actually allows more light to flood your experience. So it's not light and love. It's not all is well. It's not toxic positivity. Toxic positivity is a very dangerous symptom of a society that fails to look at its problems <laughs> and doesn't allow people uh, the space to feel their emotions. You know, it's the puzzle pieces fit. So if you can, if you can understand that love and light are actually earned, you only ever experience grace because of the depth of your grief. Grace only becomes available to you because of your grief. Then you start to get closer to what feels true for yourself. And it's not me and it's not you and it's not a book and it's not a shrine and it's not a temple. These are literally just little candle lights. Here's a little candlelight. It helps me get back home. You go, here's a little candlelight to help me get back home. And some other people go, oh, I have all these candlelights. I didn't even know the path was there. You've reminded me how to light my own candlelight. Because we're not out there doing this for other people. They're doing it for themselves. Mm. And when they find, when they hear something, when I hear something, when I listen to Iyanla Van Zandt or when I listen to Tony Robbins or all these mega giants that are helping so many people around the world, they're not reinventing the wheel. They're reminding you of something you have forgotten with great emphasis. And when it's adopted within yourself and it becomes your own idea, then you start lighting your own candle and understanding what peace and truth actually are, what authenticity is. Yes. What it means to accept the things that you don't want to accept. When you forgive the things that you have reason to not forgive, when you choose to forgive, even when you have every reason not to. That is a small, small glimpse of what it means to return to peace. A very small opportunity mm. to start coming all the way back and reuniting with your essence. And it's never going to be something that someone forces upon you. It has to be your own idea. And what I, my prayer is that maybe these words on these pages, what I'm saying right now, what you're sharing, what so many people in the world are sharing, people can start to remember. They can drop out of the mind, the egoic mind that wants to create a villain victim dichotomy. They're a psychopath and I'm innocent. They're brutal and I'm a little cherub goose <laughs> whatever <laughs> visual image is useful to describe innocence a little bunny rabbit that couldn't hurt a fly and they're the monster when will you start accepting that the monster lives within you when will you befriend your shadow when will you befriend and make love to the part of yourself that you have so actively rejected and suppressed no mm. one else is doing that you're doing that can you make love to that part of yourself can you say that is who i am and by doing so you actually transcend that and return to who you truly are yeah, your mess is your message. And you've got to dive face first. Yeah, I love that. And it's so true. I think, you know, I've I've done healing sessions with clients before where we've really gone into, and in a guided sort of space, gone into that emotion, you know, whatever they're feeling, whatever is alive for them. 
and and really looked at you know its size, its color, imagining that it's this like entity that lives within us and how big is it you know what is it saying to you can you can you offer it your love can you reach out and try and touch it you know this this real real befriending of i mean there's a concept it's a psychotherapy concept called the change triangle which is you know exactly what i'm speaking of and and you really almost imagine yourself standing at the base of this emotion labeling it you know guilt shame um frustration joy you know it could be anything but just giving it a label um, what I found is that that allows it to just loosen its grip ever so softly and then going in there with shape, size, color, texture, scent, reach out, touch it. What does it need? You know, do, can you can you tell it that you love it and tell it that you're there for it? And then repeat the process from your childlike self because as you spoke to this at the start, so often, you know, it's something that happened when we were kids. And I love so much the idea... That, or the concept rather that the masculine acknowledges and the and the the feminine nurtures. You know, our our mothers will nurture from zero to three and a half, and our fathers will acknowledge from three and a half to seven, and and it's in that developmental stage. And I I don't know if it's after that. I'm sure it could be, but where those things that if we if we aren't acknowledged and we're not nurtured and we're not kind of getting those humanistic needs that we need in in, the, in those early years then we'll seek those outwardly as we go into teenage and adult years. And just as you mentioned, for that one episode that happened to the child who was always silenced and his brother was always speaking over him, you know, what a what an incredibly uh, wonderful ability to, to weave back the thread of time when you feel that and go, oh my goodness, I now know where this comes from. And, and as you've said... Um, you know, naturally, with with your book, to forgive in that moment what happened, and and to turn that around, and I just think that there's so much power in all of this. And I, I the thing that came through for me earlier, as you were speaking, and I'm not sure how possible this is currently, but I do feel uh, hope that that this will be a thing in the not too distant future. But was actually a book tour. Um, you oh. know, I think that. Honestly, I, I, I feel like we should sort of wrap this up shortly. Um, but it's to hear to sit down. Like I know that we've known each other for you know obviously quite a while now, and we're we're sharing some different accountability groups and things like that. But that was really the first time that I've heard you speak for almost now two hours, so eloquently um, and and just so authentically and vulnerably. And I I just want to say that I think that everybody needs to, to hear this. I mean, if you're st- we've, we've almost kept, you know, between 17 and 20 people captivated for the last two hours. So I think that's tribute to just the way that you kind of hold yourself in the room here. And, and I would love to invite all of you on this podcast to, to share this far and wide. Um, I'll say it, buy the book. Uh, it's amazing. I, you know, like I said, I've, I love it. I, I just flick now and, and I get what I get and I'm grateful for what I get and I think that, you know, these are these are ways to heal. Heal ourselves, heal others, heal the world and I, I couldn't be more grateful that I met you. I'm so stoked that you decided to come to my workshop. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, seriously, like, I will, I will, like, book out every place in Geelong that I know of for you to come and share your story and, and bring boxes and boxes of this book. Um, you know, anything that's 
Anytime that my body responds to anything, I know that it's a good thing. The difference between peace and pain lies in our approach to self-awareness. When we realize we ultimately control our own perspective, we allow ourselves to truly forgive the injustices of the past. Yes. Who is that? That is one of my oldest and dearest friends in the world who has stuck around for almost two hours. So I'm deeply grateful to everyone who is still here and to everyone who joined previously. And uh, Marianne Williamson has very much popularized the idea that to define a miracle actually is to shift your perspective. And what Elle has shared now is that you are able to choose the vantage point with which you perceive your experience. Mm. And you can choose consciously and willingly whether you look through the lens of vicious hate and resentment or whether you choose to look with compassion. Mm. That is a conscious choice. No one is at the mercy of their emotions. No one is at the mercy of their thoughts. No one is at the mercy of their impulses. That's what separates us from other animals. That is the clear distinction between us and other animals. The ability to be discerning, the ability to be responsible, Mm. the ability to choose. Will I speak with loving kindness? Will I be and become loving kindness? Or will I indulge the parts of myself that compare and judge and demean? Will I indulge that? Which wolf will I feed? My mum always used to say, there are two wolves inside you, and which one are you going to feed? The white wolf or the black wolf? Yeah. I mean, they're both hungry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And they're always hungry. They're always hungry. Um, Moshe, I'd love to just quickly... There's there's two things left. Um, Second book... I mean, like, I, I don't want to go past this. I feel like this is, you know, let's keep our focus on one thing at a time. But just for myself in particular, because I want the next one, naturally. And um, I'm sure there are many people here that, that will get this um, and, and be looking forward to your, your next kind of gift to the world. So when we when can we expect that next book? It would be amazing in the next three weeks. It would be amazing to publish it in the next three weeks. Wow. Yeah. Final touches, final edits. Some of the illustrations are going in there this time. So, yeah, it would be really wonderful to... uh, The next one is going to be both a continuation and a standalone. So you can read it without reading the first one. But if you read the first one, it makes sense as the natural progression. Sure. I love that. All right, three weeks. I'm going to put some put some love out there for you, brother. <laughs> some accountability updates. Yeah, yeah, yeah just to bring it in any, even closer. Um, I do have three questions for you. They're the same three questions that I like to ask at the end of every uh, interview. So, and please, you know, share generously. Number one, who are your everyday heroes? You're more than welcome to have more than one. Who inspires you? Who is someone that you look up to that you go, mm, yes, I want a part of that person in me. I see a part of that person in me. They make me want to be a better... You know what I'm trying to say. 
Uh, everyday heroes. I think the everyday heroes in my life are the ones who have reason to stay in bed and they still get up. And they have the reasons to sign out of their lives. And there are many variations of what I'm sharing, whether it's uh, accidents or life events or tragedies, they have reason to sign out and they still get up and they're thriving and some of them are not thriving and that's also okay. Uh, those are the everyday heroes. Some, some dear friends in my life that uh, have been forced to maneuver through some very difficult things and then still get up every day. It's, it's very inspiring. Uh, and then who, who in my life would I like in me, so to speak? <laughs> who inspires you? You know, who's someone that you kind of, you know, whether it be an author, a speaker, a friend, a family member... lot of appreciation for the visual artists in my life so my friends who create stuff by hand they create tattoos they create jewelry they create paintings there's something so innocent about it there's such an innocence it takes to be able to express in that way and it makes me think that creativity has no lid. There's no lid to the way you can express yourself. You can pick up some chalk, you can pick up acrylic, you can pick up some copper, you can create a statue. There's so many ways to express what is happening in your internal landscape and people can interpret it and can understand it or be confused by it and that's okay. Mm. Wow. Just the many ways that we can show people who and what we are. And yeah, art, art is truly blows me away. <laughs> I love that. And I will say this very quickly. I know that um, a, a great saying is that comparison is the thief of all joy. But um, your response to an everyday hero, I'm not sure if anybody else throw a couple of hearts out there. That was the most heartfelt response. I've ever had to that question in my life. Your everyday heroes are the people that choose to get up that don't want to. That's 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 amazing. That's really amazing. Um, and that says a lot, I think, about you. So thank you for, for responding um, so truthfully. Uh, second question is, what are your challenges? And for someone like you, I know you've got a lot of rituals. You do a lot of yoga and meditation. You seem to be, uh, I would say, well-versed in separating from your thoughts. Um, you know, let's say the ones that you don't necessarily um, love. I'd love to know if there's anything that's that's challenging you right now, if, if you're open to sharing. Uh, yes. You valued my... Uh, the, the trust, the open communication that I had a few moments ago. So a challenge would definitely be procrastination. Mm. Procrastination or delaying things that don't need to be delayed. Uh, and that's all about taking immediate and radical action. And that's the solar yang energy. 
I'm very comfortable in my lunar yin energy, which means allowing things to come and letting things flow. Uh, but to really take devoted and determined action that is resolute and committed and thorough and diligent. It's amazing. However, I am still challenged by procrastination, not even, not even procrastination, delay, delaying things. Oh, I'll do it a little later. Mm. Oh, I'll just go to the beach <laughs> and I'll do it. This other, no, like get it done and then go to the beach. Yeah. Enjoy the beach because you've earned it. Uh, and something that I'm also challenged by, I look for many opportunities to be away from my phone or off my phone. So the art is something I can't be on my phone while I illustrate. I can't be on my phone while I play guitar. I can't be on my phone while I'm singing. I can't be on my phone while I'm swimming, while I'm practicing yoga, while I'm meditating. All of those activities would be not only disrupted, but ruined if I was interacting with my phone. Uh, so I'm looking for as many opportunities to be away from my phone. But in saying that, my challenge is as much as I would like for it to be this gadget of cosmic connection, it, it is a lot of the time of black hole and I fall into all kinds of vortexes on it uh, and even if I'm following inspiring people it it's you have to call it what it is and it's a black hole and that's me creating as many activities as I can away from it and then designating a particular time where I'm interacting with it in a very deliberate and intentional way mm. so that I'm not I'm not gawking at someone else's highlight reel of a life, but I'm actually living my own. Wow. I love that. And I I can totally resonate. I mean, I spoke to that now accountability group just the other day that I've just been spending so much time on social media, taking my phone to bed, which is just so unhealthy. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a black hole. And I think... One of the things that came through for me earlier, and I don't know if anyone anyone could do this, I would love to see it. I I feel as though if there was like some kind of procrastination award, you know, I mean, you've just spoke to the fact that you feel like you know you procrastinate quite a lot. I, I would challenge you that perhaps I procrastinate even more than yourself. And what I want to know is, if procrastination was a person, what would he or she look like? Like, can someone, if someone can draw procrastination oh, for me? I feel, like, I feel like procrastination would be sexy because I'm spending so much time with procrastination. <laughs> <laughs> like procrastination surely must be so, so, so magnetic if I'm spending this much time yeah. in procrastination. It must be. It is must be. Not, it's a good friend. <laughs> it hangs out all the time. And I invite it yeah. in. Yeah. If procrastination was a person, I'm sure procrastination would be a vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They would, we'd have a really good time all of the time. Oh, procrastination, yeah. you're back again. Because, I mean, if you think about it, it's normally with something good. Oh, I'm going to go to the beach. Procrastination's just come around. We're going to the beach together. Cool. All right, procrastination, let's go. What are you up to? Oh, procrastination, just pop around. We're going to play guitar just quickly and then we'll start our thing. Oh, good. Uh, I love it. Um, okay, good. Final question. Uh, and now, apart from your own, because um, that's you know, I would say this one, of course. But I mean, you know, naturally, uh, I I do believe, and I spoke to this earlier, that we are a byproduct of our books, our documentaries, our friends, our parents, our inner circles, and our outer circles. Everything. Um, for me personally, I I love all of them, but I I love reading and I love music and I read a lot. Um, so thank you 
for providing me with such a wonderful read. Outside of your own gorgeous book, what is your number one read that you would recommend to others um, that you just felt, you know, really blew your mind? And also, your number one song currently that you just, like, you have on repeat because it's so good. I'll start with the song. Please. The song that I've been... I've been singing it on repeat more so than listening to it. And it's Make You Feel My Love. And it's Adele's cover of Bob Dylan. Oh. And yeah, that's a... Uh, if you want to feel your feelings, listen to that song. <laughs> uh, and the book... Uh, the book that I finished yesterday is Krishnamurti's Freedom from the Known. And is this the number one book at the moment? Not necessarily. However, I found tremendous insight, specifically around how we were speaking earlier about how we, it's very easy to source violence outside of yourself. Krishnamurti says, if you are so comfortable identifying violence outside of yourself and you reject it within yourself, you have misunderstood everything. And he speaks in this really philosophical and direct fashion, which I am very fond of. He, he is disintegrating this idea that you have to palette these things in a very soft way. It's like you can communicate what you're saying, that some of these techniques are getting you further away from the truth, not closer to them. Uh, and that the central premise of the book was to be free from the known is to die to everything that ever was and be born anew in this present moment. Wow. I love that. I've got it all. I've got it all written down. I've got some homework. I love homework. Your homework is to listen to make you feel my love. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do that like straight away. I'm going to do that straight away. Um. Okay, Moshe, my my brother, my friend. Uh, this has been such a time. Thank you so much. We're going to end it here. I want to do one final plug. Um www.moshetopple.com Yep, and just in case, M-O-S-H-E-T-O-P-O-L um, You can buy Moshe's book from there. Your art is on there as well, am I right? Amazing. Your Instagram is also at Moshe Topple. Yep. yep, and again, definitely give him a follow. I have been since I met him, and there's all sorts of wonderful things that pop up there quite frequently. So, so do do that. Um, I think... The way that I, I love to end these, especially for such an inspiring conversation, is if everyone that's left, if we can all just give all of the hearts, if you felt like Moshe sent some love your way and you're inspired to, to buy the book, to try new things, to forgive yourself, to forgive others, um, whatever it might be, push the heart button, give him some love, give him a follow, and and be sure to, to share this far and wide. Moshe, thank you so, so much. There they all go. Yoo, yoo, yoo. Lots of hearts. Thank you so much for taking all of this time out of your day to sit with us, um, journey with us, express. Tom, it's my honor and my pleasure. And I I could talk about this. I will talk about this forever. That's. I feel like a light has been lit in my soul. And if I can have conversations of such substance and depth of this caliber, as I have been in my day-to-day -day life, I, I will speak about this until my last breath. So it's it's so dear to me and so important to me. And 
if people feel uh, that they've been reminded of something that they may have forgotten, I would very simply invite them to be curious as to what that is and be curious around with one final departing message. Who would you be if you really let go? Who would you become if you gave yourself permission to let go of the things that have suppressed you? What What's on the other side of that? Wow. <laughs> There's so many hearts still coming. Oh my God. Um, yeah, let's let that land. Um, you've all got the Instagrams, the websites, the book, Forgiveness is a Superpower. You know it to be true. Moshe Topol, it's been real. Um, you're an inspiration and I couldn't be happy to have you on the show. Let's stay in touch forever and always. And uh, I, I'll, I'll probably, to be honest, be calling you in like five minutes, just being like, I'll, "Oh my god!" I'll see you at the venue in Geelong that you book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <down. laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Awesome, bro. All right, Angus. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, Alana. Thanks, Katie. Thank you, everyone, for watching, for sticking around. We love you all so much. Tune in next Tuesday. I don't quite know who we're chatting to next, but it'll be, no doubt, a real conversation, and uh, we look forward to seeing you all again. Thanks, Moshe, once again. Much love. You are the Thank best. You Check out the rest. We'll see you soon. You. Bye, everybody. You. Still hearts coming. Yep. Your giz. Your giz? Oh, here. Yeah.